0: I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer, they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code birthful15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful library. Happy listening. Welcome to Birthful. I'm Adriana Lozada.
1: You know, and I'm I'm holding my dad's hand and my partner's hand, and I was connected to my dad and, and our whole ancestry was in the room with us, you know? Um, and, and as Leo was born, it was like, and my future ancestry, everyone that comes after me was in the room too.
0: That was parent and trans educator Tristan Rees. In his birth story, he shares how he made sure that everyone in his birth team, from his partner to his dad, his mother-in-law, and even the head nurse, knew what he needed from them. Their advocacy and support made a huge difference in his birth experience. Make sure you stay on until the end of the episode for my two things to do, one for you, one for the rest of us. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Tristan, it is a delight to have you here today to hear your story. Can you tell us who you are, a little bit about yourself? How do do you identify? Sure.
1: I'm Tristan. I live in Portland, Oregon. I am a dad. Um, I'm an adoptive parent. I'm a gestational parent. I'm a transgender man. I am white. I'm a Canadian immigrant to the U.S. Um, And I'm vegetarian,
0: and we have some of those in common. Um, <laughs> vegetarian, and I lived in Canada for quite a bit. I oh, did my nice. undergraduate there in Montreal, so I, it holds a special place in my heart for sure.
1: Cool. Did you go to Gill?
0: I went to Concordia. Oh, nice. In communications, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Amazing. Yeah, my parents met at Gill in Montreal, so there you go.
0: So in terms of your birth story, how did you decide it was time to have a baby? And how, how did that come about?
1: I mean, it's funny, there wasn't really any one time when I decided to have a baby. It was really much more of, you know, a longer term um, consideration process. And, you know, as a transgender man, I've known at that point dozens and now hundreds of other transgender men who've had babies. Um, And so for at least 20 years, transgender men have been having children, even after you know, having transitioned in one way or another, uh, including being on testosterone and having a beard, et cetera. So I knew it was possible, um, but I, I never wanted to have kids period uh, until I met the person who had become my partner. Yeah, and it was just this kind of a slow evolution from there. We we actually ended up becoming uh, parents very early on in our relationship. We We opened our home up to my partner's niece and nephew, my partner's sister's kids. Um, they came to live with us and then we adopted them formally. Um, yeah. And then we decided to grow our family and having been through an adoption process and, you know, it's, it's, it's quite financially, but especially emotionally arduous process. So growing our family that way, you know, was something that we just knew that we could not, we could not make it through. Um, and so, you know, having our own biological child, as counterintuitive as it may seem for, you know, two men, was actually much, much easier and much cheaper to just have it ourselves. And so, uh and so that was the process.
0: Wow. And so when you had your baby, it became a family of five. Like you already you had to not only deal with figuring out how to take care of a baby, but also introduce to siblings and just manage all of those things
1: yeah although i have to tell you going from three kids two kids to three is much easier from than going from zero kids to two so it was it was relatively simple to just like throw a different throw a new kid into the mix
0: and so so many transfer so much transformation so many changes happening in your life how did you find out you are pregnant
1: you know we had been trying and uh and that this particular morning I mean, I, I really just felt sick, like, like the flu. And so I woke my partner, I was like, I don't feel good. Can you take, you know, can you take the kids to, to class? And of course my partner's like, sure, that's no problem, but you should, you know, take a pregnancy test. And I was like, no, 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 it's, I had been like very diligent um, trying to impose some kind of false sense of control over this process. Right. And so my partner left and I'm like lying, you know, where you're sick and like, you're lying on the floor in the bathroom cause the tile feels good on your face. <laughs> it's so cool, you know. I was like that, that kind that of. That kind levels. of sick, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in that, I was like, I mean, I guess. And so, like, I found whatever the the pregnancy test in the cabinet, and then I whatever peed on it, and I was like, oh my god, this is pregnant. I am pregnant, and I texted my best friend, who's also a transgender man who had a baby. And I was like, it's happening. And he, I mean, he was just like so excited because he's like, oh my God, our kids will be around the same age. They can grow up together, you know, whatever. Um, And so, and yeah.
0: Yeah. Did your friend become sort of a pregnancy mentor for you?
1: Yes and no. My real, my, like, my pregnancy mentors really, like, randomly became the due dates group that I joined on Facebook of of people who also had babies due the same month that I did. And I've heard horror stories, especially from other trans people, but just from, like, you know, like, your average woman that's friends with me (laughs) they're like oh those those mommy groups are terrible and so i don't know what happened that i found a really cool group of people who from all over the world we just met through one of those apps Mm -hmm. you know and i mean it's i'm just really 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 privileged long before i really decided to get pregnant i you know i did build start to build a community around myself of, of trans people specifically that could support me through the process um Because, you know, some of the things that came up were trans-specific and some were just pregnancy stuff. You know, like someone finally telling me, yeah, you cannot keep commuting to work each day when you're like seven months pregnant. You can't keep taking all this extra consulting work. You know, you can't keep walking to and from the bus stop. No wonder you're run down and crabby. Like just work from home. You know, that's not a trans thing to think, no, 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 I'm going to, I can just power through. It's not a big deal. Right? Sometimes you just need that one person who has a similar thing. was like, oh yeah, I'm a total workaholic too. And it's okay to scale back. You're not weak or whatever yeah. for scaling back. You're growing a human. So Absolutely. chill.
0: <laughs> Listen to your body. <laughs> chill. Yeah. I love it. Just chill. Okay. So now you're pregnant. What did you do to prepare for giving birth? Did you have wishes of what your birth was going to look like? Did you have any ideas? Like, how did you approach that?
1: Yeah. Well, what I was really interested in was not, not experiencing trauma during my birth and the baby being alive. That was my goal for the whole thing. And so what I did was I dug pretty deep into the research and there was a a really fascinating study that came out while I was pregnant that talked about, um, uh, uh, you know, PTSD and labor and delivery. And what it said was that the primary driving factor of PTSD coming out of a labor experience was simply a labor and delivery that does not go according to plan. And so for me, I was like, great, great. Then my practice internally, my my self-work is going to be envisioning an empowered, healthy, safe birth that has any outcome. Any outcome. Like if I... End up accidentally giving birth in the car on the way to the hospital. What, what does that look like? How am I planning to have that be a peaceful experience? You know, what does a birth by cesarean look like so that I feel peaceful about that outcome? However, my baby wants to make it earthside. I was going to be okay with that. And I was going to trust the team of people that I had around me to help guide me through whatever needed to happen so that I didn't feel like my body had let me down.
0: Yeah. And I think that is um, that is the best practice ever. And I, I, as I sit with my doula clients, one of the things we go through, we do this worksheet of identifying how you want to feel during birth and then follow that up with what are the things we can do when you're being, t- this is how you want to show up. This is what, how you want to feel. If you're not in that mind space, how can we help you come back to that? I-, I wish everybody would sit and do that before doing any other plan.
1: Yeah. And I did, I did a lot of things of self self-hypnosis throughout the pregnancy process. And I, I went to, we were supposed to go to two, uh, you know, delivery classes. And so we went to the first one. It was fine. I, you know, I had asked an ally, the, the therapist um, at Kaiser to please call the, the instructor ahead of time and let her know what to expect that there were going to be two men in her class and she was she was okay you know those classes are the most gendered part of an entire pregnancy so we went to the first one we didn't go to the second because um it was actually um trans pride that weekend and so we we opted to go and be with our community right before um the the labor and delivery process and I, and I wish I had gone to the second class because there was There was some pretty crucial information there that I had avoided, and I think I was a little bit in denial.
0: Do you remember what those things were that you would have been helpful to know?
1: Yeah, um, like everything about the actual physiological process of giving birth. um, I, I I was not in any way, shape or form prepared. I was prepared for the sort of like the early labor or the late labor. And then when they said, you know, we're going to come back and, and it's going to be time to push. I was like, oh my God, I have no idea what happens next. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh. and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. Which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial. May not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors, LLC Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities, LLC. Member FINRA, SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. I know that a lot of people, when they go to pregnancy, and I experienced this myself, is suddenly you're body becomes sort of public domain and everybody has opinions and they judge your decisions. That balanced with your, the hard work you were doing to avoid trauma and to really create a safe space for yourself through your experience. Did you find that what people were saying from the outside was affecting your experience?
1: No question. No question. Um, you know, to be a public trans person, even, you know, as a transgender man, which is, you know, worlds easier than as a transgender woman, even as a, even as a white person, which is worlds easier than as a, you know, trans person of color, uh, it was still extraordinarily difficult. And, you know, I was receiving hundreds of emails, direct messages, tweets, Um, of people telling me, you know, how disgusting that I am and and that I'm going to give birth to a monster. And um, I mean, truly, truly awful things. And there were many choices, you know, we chose not to reveal. And yet people still made assumptions and came at me with, you know, if you don't breastfeed, your baby's going to be sickly. So uh, on top of all the normal, invasive, weird, pseudo-scientific stuff, there was also you know so much transphobia laced uh, in all of that, and so yeah it was a it was a toxic pit that I was stuck in for many, many months, um, and it was very difficult and I don't think that I have fully recovered I may never recover
0: and i th- I'm so sorry to hear that of. Mm. I, I really am sorry that you had to go through all that. And like, all we want is to have a healthy baby. And having somebody plant that fear is so unforgivable. It's so irresponsible.
1: Yeah. And um, I mean, often people, there's, you know, there's people who are intentionally mean and that's its own thing. Um, and then there's like this whole wide swath of unintentional meanness um, for me, m- much of which came from the natural birth community. And I'm con- continuing to see the, the extreme psychological harm of people being encouraged to put their own needs second, their own psychological wellness second, their own physical health and wellness second. Um, and I think it's deeply and profoundly sexist to to expect birthing people to to stop caring about themselves. I think it's deeply and profoundly disempowering to tell people that, in fact, you do have to give up all of who you are. You do have to give up all of your, not just your comfort, but your literal safety for this tiny human that you have created.
0: And we know, and the research clearly shows us that the sole responsibility of a successful breastfeeding relationship on a parent-baby diet is just too much pressure. Because you need systemic support, you need cultural support, you need like all these other things that we don't have in place, and then when things don't work out, you've quote-unquote failed.
1: And then the overlay of transphobia, the overlay of transgender people, and the fact that some transgender people and and some non-trans survivors of sexual violence experience severe psychological distress— around the idea of using their bodies in that way, or they've had, you know, they've had gender affirmation procedures and they're not able to feed their baby in that way. You know, there's there's just so many compounding issues and people are like, well, you know, breastfeeding is free. Sure, if you're not placing a value on the time of the nursing parent. And again, I'm like, oh, that's sexism, (laughs) Right? right? And it's like, oh, breastfeeding is easy. Okay, sure, if it's easy for you. Right? But then when people struggle, as you'd said, there's no support for them. And there's so, so, so much pressure. You know, I just, I do see so many people get completely subsumed by that, those early parenting years and then, you know, come age three, four, five, all that resentment comes out because it is like, oh, I forgot about my partner. Oh, I forgot about myself. And so that's, you know, that's something that we really committed to when we were, you know, when I was pregnant, it was like, well, how are we going to stay connected throughout this process and into early parenthood? And and so that was something that I wanted to make sure, like, you know, that I was still nurturing that as, as I went.
0: Yeah. So what are some ways that you've nurtured that, that this didn't only become a process that you were going through, but a process you were going through together?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because... You know, as queer people, we don't have, like, a set mold that we sort of fall into. Um, and so we've always been equitable in our approach to parenting. It's about who's good at the things. It's about who likes the things. And then it ultimately boils down to who hates the thing the least, right? And so, and so we sort of figure that out. And, and we had thought going into pregnancy, okay, I'm a pregnant person. So, you know, my primary job is going to be to take care of myself and the growing fetus. And also I'm the primary provider. And so the expectation is I keep providing. And also as a, you know, as a feminist man, I don't want to put my partner who's the frontline parent also in charge of all of the housework and parenting the other kids and doing the dishes and doing the laundry. I was just trying to do all the things. Um, And my, also my expectation was, you know, my partner would kind of take care of me. That's like kind of the, what you see in the movies, you know? And, you know, finally we just sat down and my partner Biff was like, okay, like, obviously this isn't working. You're tired. (laughs) You're, you're grumpy. So why don't we re, you know, rejigger things a little bit so that it's just your job to take care of yourself and the pregnancy. And I will step it up in the home department. And so we just, you know, we just try to not be equal, but equitable, you know, not the like keeping score of things, but stay in your lane.
0: And it seems it was very well rooted on clear communication and expectations and adjusting along the way, checking in and saying, hey, this is no longer working. How can we make it work? So I appreciate that the the constant need for checking in and and that you guys made it a joint priority um and had clear expectations of what you needed from each other so then how did you know it was how did labor start
1: <laughs> oh my god well uh my my mother was had well she, my mother had a traumatic first birth experience and so she at 40 weeks decided to be induced for me and loved it and then my older sister was not induced for either of her pregnancies. And she went to 42 weeks with her first and 43 weeks with her second. And I was really certain that I, that was not something that I wanted to go through. And as I approached my due date, I think I was at 37 weeks and I started to have rib separation and the baby was measuring quite large. And so I was, I mean, I just begged them, please just induce me. Like I ain't going to 42 weeks, or 43 weeks, I'm dying And they were like, no, we will not do that. We cannot induce you before term unless it's a medical emergency. And I'm like, it is a medical emergency, I'm dying. And they were like, unfortunately, like the um, the comfort, the comfort of the pregnant person is not something, a factor that we take into consideration.
0: People who are listening, who've been pregnant, they understand like, oh, my baby's right underneath my ribs, that hurts, like, oh, baby's kicking me in the ribs. We've experienced that. Totally. Your ribs splitting and actually separating is a different, that like, that is pathological. That's not discomfort. That's actual damage.
1: It's interesting. I didn't think about it necessarily at the time. It felt, it felt like there was an element of transphobia in it, the dismissal of my pain. And then finally, when I hit exactly my due date was the next day. I called the, you know, I called the OB overseeing the whole um, uh, pregnancy clinic at Kaiser um, you know, and I was just like, I, I, you know, I'm in excruciating pain. Will you induce me? And he said, okay, you're at, you're at 40 weeks tomorrow. We'll, we'll schedule an induction. I was like, oh, thank God. The next morning I called the labor and delivery ward. I said, I'm coming in today. And they were like, no, you're not. We're full. And I just cried. <laughs> I was like, I just cried. And, and I think having a crying pregnant man on the phone was too much for them. So they were like, well, we can call the West side. Westside Hospital and see if they'll take you. And I was like, that sounds great. And the Westside Hospital called me and they were like, can you be here in an hour? And I was like, yes, absolutely I can. And I said, and can I, you know, can you put me on with the head nurse? And I talked to her and I said, listen, I'm a transgender man. I did not get to tour your facility. I did not get to meet your staff. But between now and when I get there, my expectation is that you're going to prep everyone to deal with a, you know, a pregnant person, a birthing person who is a man from the person who delivers my food to the person who changes the trash to the phlebotomist, like whoever I interact with, um, I want to be. I want them to be a hundred percent clear. You know, I'm not going to be doing some education at the same time as trying to also bring a human into the world. Um, can you know? Is that something that can I, that I can count on you to do? And so I just deputized her. You know, I put her in charge of it, and she was like, "Yep, totally." And she took. And care of it. And did it work?
0: Like, yeah. did you receive the yep. respectful care that you were? Ex- Asking for
1: Yep. She handled it. And, you know, my birthing team, uh, in addition to their medical staff, was my partner, my partner's mother, my mother-in-law, and my dad. And so I made everyone, I made it, you know, I made sure that everyone knew this is what I would love from you. Um, You know, and so with with my partner, I said, you know, I I need you to do any interventions around transphobia. So if anyone calls me the wrong pronoun or calls me like mama or whatever, like I want you to take them outside and handle it. Um, And I told my dad, listen, you're a doctor. You're like the straight white man in the room. If there are any medical issues, any medical complications, I want you talking to those those people who are making decisions about what to do. Um, and, you know, for my mother-in-law, I was like, you've given birth four times. (laughs) I want you to reassure me that whatever's happening, I can do it. You know, so I just made sure everyone knew what exactly I needed from them, um, to sort of get through the process.
0: I I really hope that everybody that hears this undertakes to heart how that can apply to their realities as say, you know, a black birthing person, a disabled birthing person, as a poor birthing person, a young birthing person, all of these, just not the normative, uh, ideal, quote-unquote, person for who the system is designed and understand that they need to step up or put things in place that just showing up is not going to be enough.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it was just really important to me that I treated everyone that was supporting me at the hospital, the whole hospital staff, as if they had my best interests at heart, you know, really just assuming support assuming good intent going in. I loved having super, super skilled people around to say, here's what we're going to do next. And here's the, you know, here's what we're going to expect. And the, the surgeon that came in to meet with me very, very early on said, you know, the midwives got you. You'll probably never see me again. If you need me, I'm right here. Um, and, you know, and I let him know, listen, I do not want you to avoid a birth by cesarean. If there is any distress, fetal distress, if I'm in any distress, I feel 100% great about having a surgical birth. I do not have any vision of how this goes other than my baby's alive and I'm untraumatized. Period. And he was like, okay, I hear you. Um, and he actually, you know, he said, <clears throat> um, one option that I can give you is if you do need a birth by cesarean, I'm not saying that you will, but if you do, um, would you prefer a vertical incision as opposed to a horizontal incision? The the healing and birth outcomes are are the same no matter what. And I was like, well, why would I want a vertical incision? He said, oh, because, you know, you're a transgender man. And often people might associate that horizontal, like bathing suit line scar as a, a cesarean scar, which some people might associate with women or femininity or motherhood. Whereas a lot of men might have a vertical scar at their navel if they've had any number of, you know, stomach surgeries or procedures. And so if that feels more gender affirming to you, I'm, I'm happy to, to make that adjustment and, and, and plan ahead for that to happen. And I had, listen, I'm a, I, I'm a trans health educator. I had never heard of that before. And so I was really moved um, by his ingenuity and his attention to detail and, and his empathy to think, okay, if I were a transgender man, pregnant, giving birth, healing, and then parenting how might my relationship with my body be improved
0: that sounds like exceptional wonderful care and and not just looking at the short term outcomes but also long term impact of health Mental health, body health, all all, all your humanity encompasses completely, not just one aspect. So in terms of the actual birth. So oh, yeah. You're sorry. Being That's like where you're trying to get yeah. to.
1: Everything, the, you know, the like Foley bulb and then the like tiny drip of Pitocin, everything did exactly what it was supposed to do. Um, I, and you know, we just sort of like proceeded along and I had, I think about 12 hours of really early, like early labor. So that was just like getting the kickstarted thing. And they're like, yes, it's, everything's working. It's great. Could still kind of sleep, could still kind of eat, could still get up and move around. Um, and then about 12 hours of active labor and, you know, and everything started going and then they could pull back on the Pitocin because I was like, cool, your body's doing its thing now. We're good. Um, and as soon as things started to get, you know, really painful for me, part of, part of emerging as unscathed as possible in terms of my psychological experience of the birth. um, It was really important to me that I had an epidural. And so they came in, they did that, that was great. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, at some point they were like, okay, we're about two hours to pushing. And I was like, oh my God, I have no idea what to do next. I read so many books about pregnancy, not nothing (laughs) on the actual pushing out thing. Um, but they were lovely. They were like, it's okay. Like your body knows what to do. And also we know what to do because we've done this hundreds of times. We'll coach you through it. Don't worry. And for me, it was a profoundly, it it was an embodied experience. It was also profoundly spiritual experience. And I did not expect that, um, of this particular part of the process, you know, and they'd said, well, we're going to have you push, and if, you, if you're not able to feel where you're pushing, because the epidural will just take the epidural out. And I was like, of course, you are not going to take the epidural. Watch me push. <laughs> I was like determined that I was, was going to be able to keep it in. And, and I did, and I did. Um, and there was one period of time when I, I sort of called upon those who have passed um, to, to give me what I needed in order to get through this transformative experience. And of course, it's like, I'm also throwing up you know, with each contraction and push, like I'm puking everywhere, and I'm Canadian, so I'm also apologizing to everyone for throwing up on them. You know, and I'm I'm holding my dad's hand and my partner's hand, and I was connected to my dad, and and our whole ancestry was in the room with us. You know, um, and and as Leo was born, it was like and and my future ancestry, everyone that comes after me was in the room too. You know, it was just it was just an incredibly powerful. Moment, that uh, that I wouldn't give up for anything.
0: Oh, and that is just it's so incredibly beautiful. And I think you described it perfectly because some people don't realize how, at that moment, I mean, physically outside, it looks so. Mammalian. So it's just like this energy, and you're putting everything into it. But that inside, you can be so deeply connected at a different place.
1: That's right. And it's, and it is, it's both like it is, it is visceral, like it is mammalian. <laughs> and all of this happened in a hospital on an epidural, you know. So again, people think like you can't have a spiritual birth in those settings. Not true. Not true. Your spirituality comes with you wherever you are.
0: What would you, as we wrap up, what would you like to leave the listeners with?
1: Um, I think I would just say like there, there is no one right way to do pregnancy. There's no one right way to do labor and delivery. There's no one right way to do postpartum and parenthood. Um, If you look at your favorite parents, you know, the people in your life that are like your parenting role models, like who do you think like has a relationship with their kids that you're like, oh, you know, that I really, that that I like, um, you know, interview them. I did that when I was pregnant to just hear different versions of birth stories, like what worked for people, what didn't work for people, um, you know, how do they develop the kind of relationship with their kids? And then what, do you know, any cool teenagers, like talk to their parents, what did they do? Um, what did they do to, what are your core values? You know, is your, are your core values, independence and self-sufficiency, you know, are they like deep interconnection? Um, what, you know, what do you care about? And, and you know, start to sort of weave those in, because I think a, a, a powerful, embodied birth can happen anywhere. Um, and getting attached to what it looks like, I think is the only foolish thing to do. Um, because, you know, the world might have other plans for you and other lessons that it wants you to learn um, throughout the process of giving birth.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so very much for this wonderful talk today.
1: Thank you for having me
0: that was tristan Rees. he's a global educator working with a broad range of birth professionals to create a more inclusive culture through his consulting firm which is collaborate.consulting tristan also provides information on transfertility on his website transfertility.co and if you want to see birth photos and baby pictures his instagram is biff and i Whatever your birth choices, I hope one of your takeaways from our conversation is that you have every right to expect good care and good support from everyone who participates in your birth and how helpful it can be to communicate your expectations with them ahead of time so they know how to advocate for you, whether they're a head nurse or your mother-in-law. One of the things you can do for yourself is write down a few ways that each person in your birth team can advocate and support you, and then communicate that to one of them this week. Do it. Do it this week. And then rinse and repeat until you've spoken to all of them. And then for the staff that you won't meet until you're at the hospital, have a pre-written sentence or two that you've practiced on how they can best support you so that you can share that with them when you get to the hospital or the birth center. The one thing you can do for the rest of us is to learn more about how to be a good ally for transgender people. A good place to start is by reading the Guide to Being a Good Ally from the National Center for Transgender Equality. You can find it at bit.ly slash transallyguide. And I've also placed a direct link in the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com. Birthful was created by me, Adriana Lozada, and is a production of Lantigua, Williams & Co., the show's senior producer is Paulina Velasco. Virginia Lora is the managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. Ronald Young Jr. mixed this episode. Ali Kiltz contributed to this episode. Thank you for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and everywhere you listen. Come back next week for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.